You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Again, I keep wanting to say sit down, but maybe I should tell you to stand up. Um, We're going to do a little bit different today. We've been in this series on Genesis, um, and you know, with all the the news and the bad news and the fake news and just the news news, I felt like we should take a break and maybe have some good news today. And I don't know if you guys have read ahead in Genesis 34, where we're going to be next week. It's not exactly the most encouraging chapter in the Bible. So we'll let Clint tackle that next week. He's excited. He's super excited to do that. Um, And I want to, you know, in light of all the sanitizing and the washing of hands and the cleaning and the wiping down of things, the bleaching, um, I thought it would be appropriate this morning to hear from a custodian, to hear from a janitor, right? Um, We're going to look at a a song that was written by a custodian. And you think, uh, doesn't sound like an exciting song. Well, it's by some, a group of men called the Sons of Korah. And if you do a little research in the Old Testament, you'll discover that these guys were called officially gatekeepers. But a gatekeeper was basically, he was the one in charge of doing the menial tasks in the temple. He, he stood at the gate. He was kind of a makeshift security guard. He also was a custodian. He was a custodian. He cleaned up. Right? He's the guy you'd walk by, you wouldn't even notice him. He's, you probably don't notice him ever unless he doesn't do his job. That's, that's the kind of guy. But, but these guys got together, they wrote themselves a little song to encourage us this morning. And so I want to just, I want to learn from these custodians, these experts in sanitizing. Uh, because they have a lesson and a song for us about what it means to be blessed. What it means to be blessed. And we're going to look at Psalm chapter 84 this morning. Spurgeon says this of this psalm, if the 23rd psalm is the most popular and the 103rd psalm is the most joyful, the 119th is the most deeply experimental, then this psalm is the most sweet of the psalms of peace. And I think, you know what, I think we need some peace. Uh, And I think we can learn some peace from these custodians this morning. So we're going to unpack Psalm 84. And it really breaks down real simple. There's kind of three sections, and each section is kind of highlighted with this statement, blessed. Blessed. It's a similar language we've seen uh, in the Lord Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, and what we call the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the such and such and such. It's the same idea. The word blessed there, kind of, it's not a super spiritual word. It means content, happy, joyful, Satisfied. He said, what does a custodian have to teach me about being satisfied, about being content, about being blessed? Well, I think there's three things in this text we're going to jump in. So Psalm chapter 84, and it has a little uh, kind of a upfront some instructions. It says, to the choir master, according to the getith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And so just some instructions for the worship leader. This is a song. It's to the choir master. It's to be sung. Okay, and it's according to the instrument, which is some sort of stringed instrument uh, in that day. So today we might say according to the Telecaster, according to the Strat, according to the Gibson SG, God's guitar, right? It's the idea is it's supposed to be led by this instrument, and it's by the sons of Korah, these obscure people that you would walk by and you don't even know. 
And I think it's significant that one of the most famous psalms is not written by David, it's not written by Moses, it is written by guys you would walk by that are used to cleaning up after you, right? And they're gonna teach us how do we be happy, how do we be blessed, right? So let me jump in. I'm gonna read the entire psalm this morning. It's not that long, and I'm gonna come back and we'll unpack it and see what they have to say. So chapter 84, verse one. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of string, springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So he starts off, and you can feel the emotion in verse one and two. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy. There's all this fainting and and just longing and emotion and a bunch of custodians. And I think it's important, just as a side note for us in the church, we're often down on emotions in the church, right? Yeah, it's all about just this, it's the facts, it's this. And we, we put aside the fact that God has created us emotional beings, with passions, and and emotions are good, not to be led by emotions, but to experience them. We're supposed to love God with our mind, but also our whole heart and our strength. And these guys are getting that, and they are longing for something, which tells me that they they don't have it, okay? They're they're remembering something, they're after something, and they're longing for it, kind of like probably some of you. You're longing to go to Tybee. We're longing to go to Tybee. We miss Tybee. We're longing to get out of the house. We're longing for kids to go back to school, right? We're longing for Chick-fil-A to open up so we can go inside and not just go through the drive-thru. So there's this something we're remembering. They are longing for something. What? The dwelling place of the Lord, of hosts, for the courts of the Lord. That, that's what they're longing for, the place that they actually get to serve when their time comes, And for them, again, the dwelling place of the Lord is the Old Testament temple, right? It's where the house of God was in Jerusalem, where God revealed himself, where the word of God was read, where the priests would go between God and man and make sacrifices. There would be singing. Their ark or the covenant was there. This was where worship, public worship took place. It's where the priests would be, right? That is the dwelling place for him of the living God that he's longing for. And as he's remembering, it's just if he's daydreaming, he says, even the sparrows, even the swallows get to be close. 
right? Even they get to be there. And, and I think it's significant. These two birds in the Bible are, are, are mentioned often. The, the sparrow is considered a worthless bird. It's, it's a penny for a bird, right? Uh, and, and the swallow is this, is this bird that's constantly just looks restless, right? You've seen them out at the beach. They're just kind of flying. They make you tired watching them. They never sit down. But he says, those that are restless and those that are the most insignificant, even they get to be close, they get to live there, and he's, he, he's envying the birds. He said, I wish, I wish I could be a little swallow in a nest, sitting up in the wall in Jerusalem, right? That, that's, that's the heart of this guy. And then he makes a conclusion. Here's our first blessed statement. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Salah, which means Think about that. Meditate on that. It's a musical interlude. It's the drummer comes in and the guy plays a couple uh, measures on his guitar so that you can just kind of, okay, let's think about that statement. Blessed are those, and this is the first thing these guys are teaching us, who dwell in your house. And I think it's easy for us, for us to read that now and say, yeah, man, I'd love to go up to church. Dang Corona, right? But the point of what they're saying is not if you want to be blessed, just hang out at the church all the time. Come up to CBC, sit on the porch, just hang out, drink coffee. That's the blessed person. That is not the idea. Because for us, living this side of Calvary, this 69th Street building, as nice as it is, is not the house of God. It is a brick and mortar, glass, nice chairs, great coffee. This is not the house of God. You are the house of God. And the idea here is not, I just want to be at church. Look, we want you to be back in this building. We want to sing. Singing with four people in this room is just not the same. I mean, we don't get to, to shake hands with each other because we have to stay six feet away. Right? But, but as good as those things are, he's not talking about blessed are those who get to go to church. The idea is blessed are those who are close to God, right? Close to God. You and me, living this side of Calvary, we are the house of God. Paul tells the Corinthians, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, you are a spiritual house. You are being built up. You are living stones. We have the very presence of God with us. And unlike these custodians who are longing to be somewhere where God is and where God is choosing to reveal himself and dwell, we don't have to long for that. You don't have to be here, CBC, to experience closeness and presence of God. You can be in your living room right now. You can be in your car. You can be out on a walk and experience intimacy and closeness with God. And I think it's significant if you look at what these guys did. They stood by the gate. And if you know anything about the Old Testament temple, it was kind of sectioned off. And certain people could only go to certain places. And so you had a court of Gentiles, which is way out. And if you were a Gentile, like us, you couldn't even come past a certain place. And if you did at certain points in Israel's history, you would be killed. You weren't allowed in. You weren't part of that, that, that people of God. And then you had the court of Israel, which just every general guy from Dan and Naphtali and, and all these people, they could go in. And then you had the court of women, and, and really in Solomon's temple and beyond. And so the women will be over here. These guys could get to a certain point, but then you had this, this area called the holy place, which is kind of 
locked down. And only if you were from the tribe of Levi and specifically from the family of Aaron could you go into that place. Very select few. And then beyond that, there was this, this veil. Behind the veil, the Ark of the Covenant. And only one guy could go in there one time per year. And he would go in very cautiously and he would put blood on the top of the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat. And he would come out making atonement for the sins of the people. So these guys could only stand, they, only, they could only get so close. But yet he's saying, I just wish I could get that close. I can't even go in where these guys get to go. I can't even be that close. But I, I just want to be there. And what happened for us, and this is, this is the beauty of what Jesus has done. When Jesus lays down his life and, he's, and he gives up his spirit, what happens? The veil in the temple tears. That, that, that temple that separated the most holy place from the holy place in the court of Gentiles, from the court and all these things, that veil tears from top to bottom, showing it wasn't man that did it, that God did it. And, and Jesus opens up access for the Gentiles and for the ladies and for any tribe and every tongue that would come. Everybody has open access to God through Jesus Christ, all of us. So now we experience an intimacy with God that this guy never fathomed. He could never imagine. He could never dream, Right? Open access. You are invited, not just you, you keep away, it's you are actually invited into the throne of grace. That God says, I don't do social distancing. You draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and I will dine with him and he with me. That is the heart of this God. This guy's pining to sit just by the gates. How much more do we get than him? And that's why I think at the end of, chapter, of verse four, it's think about that. Selah. So here's the first idea for us in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of social distancing, people sitting at home wanting to get out. If you want to be blessed, these custodians are going to tell you, is to pursue a closeness with your God. It's to pursue closeness, intimacy, to draw near. And this is a, a unique time in human history, at least in, in our experience. Um, I mean, a lot of us are challenged of what do, we, what do we do today? There's only so many games of Uno, only so many games of Monopoly. Okay, I've binged all that I want to see. We have, some of us, more time than we ever have had, right? Which is maybe not a good thing for some of us, maybe for others it is good. But I just would really encourage you this morning, this week, is don't waste that. If you have a little extra margin, and there's those books that you bought on Amazon six months ago that you said, I was gonna read those, and it's gonna, this book on marriage, and this book on parenting, this book on, this is, this is a great opportunity for you to do that, right? To cultivate, just in a deeper way, your relationship with the Lord, right? Because you don't have to, again, I, I wanna, we love it when you're here, but you don't have to be here. I'm not the only one in the world that can speak truth. I'm one of a million. You can just take out the, copy of the scriptures and open it up and read it for yourself. I'd encourage you to do that if you haven't yet. Maybe you would read just once a day. Read an entire New Testament book. Read, you know, uh, the book of Acts one day. It'll take you 30 minutes. Maybe read uh, one of the pastoral epistles. Maybe read the book of James. I don't know. Just sit down and just cultivate your relationship with God. Maybe you're like, I can't read at the house because it's way too loud and crazy. So maybe you just need to go outside and get on a walk. Put your earbuds in. Listen to the, uh, we put a worship set list on our website as a resource for you. Listen to that, or when you're, maybe you're doing some chores at the house, just 
Jam that in the house. Maybe use one of the devos that we've put on our website. I don't know, I, you be creative. But I just, I don't want us to waste the time, right? God is with us, he's with you. The, the psalmist here, the, the custodian reminds us, he is the Lord of hosts. That's kind of an Old Testament word, but it just means that God is the, the Lord of the armies of heaven. He is the sovereign. He is sovereign over coronavirus. Nothing escapes his notice. And he right now, for every follower of Jesus, is sitting in your living room with you. He is present with you now, the sovereign of the universe. He's in the kitchen with you. He is, as he says, he is the living God. He's not a God made by human hands. He is not a, just kind of out. He is alive. He is speaking. He is yearning for you. He loves you. He cares for you. And I think we need to remember that. And I think we need to come expecting him to do something. We pray, Lord, do something. Lord, do something. Do we really think that? Some of you are facing huge challenges. Do you expect that he is the living and sovereign God, even over that job loss, even over that furlough, even over the fact that you missed your graduation. Right? I think that's a great reminder for us. He is the personal God. Notice he said, he is my God. He is my king. And he only knows him at a distance. Jesus says, my sheep, they get to hear my voice. They follow me. I'm gonna write my law on your hearts. You are my possession. You are my brothers and sisters. There's a personal nature here. So I just wanna encourage you just pursue a closeness with God in this time because it's going to end, right? Um, it's going to end and, and it, we won't have it again. Um, and so just whatever that looks like, that you would taste and see that the Lord is good. Be creative, right? Do, do what, uh, you, if there's a time in your life you remember, man, I was so close to God at that point, go back and do that, whatever that was, right? Because this is a God who wants us to draw near. And this custodian is reminded us that is where blessing is. All right, let's continue. Verse five. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart is always as I am. He doesn't wait till the end of the, of, of the paragraph to, to give the summary statement. He gives it right up front. Here's the second blessing. Those whose strength is in you, whose heart is in way to Zion. And when you're studying poetry, it can be a little bit confusing sometimes. Uh, one of the ways you can help understand and interpret is uh, it's understanding the parallelism that's used. Parallelism is just two lines or more that are just related to one another in a, in a certain way. Sometimes the first line and the second line are saying the same thing just differently. Sometimes the first line says something, second line says the exact opposite. Sometimes it's, it makes a statement and then it completes the statement here, which is the case here. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Okay, what does that, what does that mean? Those whose heart is always on the way to Zion. Right, whose heart are on the highways. Not everybody got to live in Jerusalem. In fact, most people didn't. But they went up three times a year for three of the festivals. And as they did, they would travel these roads that would go up because Jerusalem is on a hill. And they'd go through valleys and they'd go all through these long places to get there. And you would always be looking up at Jerusalem. And he says the ones who are strong the ones who, whose strength is in, is in God are the ones who can't wait to get there. They keep, wherever they are on that road, they keep thinking, I can't wait to get there. And when you go, verse six, through the valley of Baca, the valley of Baca is a, the word Baca means either balsam or, or weeping. It's not a nice place. 
It's not Jamaica. All right, it's not Tybee. This is a dry desert where nothing but balsam trees grow, and it is a place of, of heat and weariness, and you want to get out of it. And he says, as they go, notice he says as, not if they go. How many of us know and feel that to get to Zion sometimes, we got to go through the valley of Baca, the valley of dryness, the valley of weeping, the valley of, I got furloughed this week, the valley of, I missed my prom, I missed my graduation, I have a financial issue now because of this deal, I can't go anywhere, whatever. Baka, right? A place of weariness, a place of weeping. But he says, as they go through that valley, it becomes a place of springs, a place of refreshment. The early rains also cover it with pools. It's, it's, it's a refreshing idea. How is that even possible? They go from strength to strength, not weakness to strength, not weariness to strength. They actually go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God and Zion. How can the valley of Baca become a place of refreshment? Because we're keeping our eyes on the, the end. Because even though we're val in the valley, we're keeping our eyes on where we are headed and where we are going. That's the idea, that we keep looking up. Yes, this, this is bad, but look where I am going. And I think the second lesson from these custodians who are not there but want to be there, and maybe this guy, it seems like, is even in the valley of Baca right now, is to remember where you're headed. Is to remember where this ends. So when our kids were younger, and anyone who has younger kids in a minivan gets this, so you're on a trip, you're coming back from grandma's, you're coming back from vacation, and, and, and one of your kids in the back is just losing their mind. And the iPad's not working, and the food's not working. And, and there's these, as you're on I-95 or I-16 or whatever, every mile there's these things called mile markers. And you're just, at least I was, just counting down 73 miles to home, 72 miles to home, 71 miles to home. 16, and you just, you know, eventually I'm going to get there, right? But right now, it, it doesn't feel like that. That's the idea, is you remember, yes, you're in this valley, but you remember this will not last, right? Your Baca is a place on the, de on, on the trip, but it is not your destination, and it will not last forever. What will last forever is is Christ wiping away every tear, is eternal joy, is forever being with the Lord. And so he, these guys are saying, hey, keep your heart there. Look up. Look where you're going. I know you're here. Look up there. Because you're not the first to go through the valley, and you won't be the last. And even Jesus himself had his own valley of Baca, right? But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame. Your baka will end, whatever it is. Social distancing will end. Rubbing your hands raw with sanitizer will end. Tybee will open. You'll get to go on another vacation and there will be jobs. But we'll, what will never end is the pleasure and delight of eternity apart from sin and suffering and with the Savior. And God knows it, so he says, keep looking up.
This custodian knows it, so he says, keep looking up. And again, I think he's in the Valley of Bacah because verse 80 says, oh, Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear. It's as if he's like, Lord, please, just know where I'm at. Right? And, and just remember what Paul says. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. They're not worth comparing. That's where you're going. This guy gets it. Your God hears. The God of Jacob. Interesting. Here's our, here's our Jacob who we've been studying. God of Jacob hears, he knows, think about it. Just right now, think about that your God not only is in your room with you right now, present, I will never leave you or forsake you, but he knows and he hears. And I, think we need to talk, I think we need to pray to him like that, that we know he hears, that we know that he answers according to his will, right? So what can a custodian teach us? about being blessed, teaches us we're blessed when we're close, when there's intimacy with our God, and we're blessed when we remember where we're going, remember where we're headed. And there's one more thing, right? And this is where the song seems to crescendo, it seems to get big, this is the bridge, this is the big, the big, you know, cymbals clashing, guitars roaring. Uh, verse nine, he says, behold, our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. And this is a quick prayer for the king. His anointed is the king. The shield is the king. Because as goes the king, so goes the nation for them, right? So he's praying for his king. Again, a good reminder for us. Man, keep praying for your leaders, right? Just keep praying for your leaders. Keep asking them to, to do what God has called them to do to protect the people. But then he goes to verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And in the Hebrew text, the word better is placed up front for emphasis, right? It's, it's, it's kind of moved to the front so that the first thing you read is better, better. A day in your courts, better than a thousand elsewhere. A 24-hour period being a gatekeeper in the house of God because I'm close is better than a thousand, thousand days anywhere else. I would rather be a custodian, a doorkeeper, a security guard in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's a massive, massive value statement by this guy, isn't it? I mean, think about it. If you could spend a thousand days anywhere, your best thousand days, man, you're Clark W. Griswold, thousand days at Wally World or wherever. You say, I get a thousand days, right? Maybe right now you're just thinking for, I'd get four hours out of the house. I don't know. This guy says, whatever your best thousand days are, it is better to be close to God for one than a thousand days anywhere else. Right. And I, I'm not, this is not some like super spiritual statement like, well, you could either spend a day at CBC or a thousand days at the Bahamas. I'm going to the Bahamas, you can stay at CBC. That's fine. I'll, be, I'll worship him down there. That's, that's not, the idea is not this super spiritual guy who just wants to be, you know, at the temple. But he is making a value statement and he is teaching a third lesson about God. And here's, here's what I think the lesson is and I think we need to grasp this, especially in light of what's going on. You want to be blessed? Then enjoy God and his goodness because he is good. Why else would you want to be close? I mean, why else would the guy want to be close to, to his God and in his temple and in his court? Why else if he's not good? Right? That's why John Piper says God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And we just have to move, we need to continue to remind ourselves to move ourselves away from this kind of boot camp, 
uh, pledging a fraternity view of Christianity where I kind of do my time and I suffer for a while and then I get in. Right? That doesn't seem to be his view. He wants to be close to God because God is good. Because at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Just remember, God created everything good. It was when sin came in that it corrupted everything. That God is the one who is, he is putting this here because he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be content. He wants us to be satisfied. He wants us, he is for our joy. The enemy of our soul is the one who wants to destroy us. He's the one that wants us to be dissatisfied. God wants us to be satisfied. God is good, right? I mean, he says, he says, the Lord is a sun and a shield, right? These are metaphors, but these are, these are good things. Sun is good. It gives heat. It gets warmth. It gets protection. It gives life. He is a shield. He protects. He guards. These are not negative things. He gives favor. That's grace. He gives honor. Anyone not want grace? Anyone not want honor? He gives you the riches of heaven at Christ's expense. That's grace. He gives you honor. You are a child, a son, and a daughter of God. You are heirs to the kingdom. These are good things. And then he says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Nothing. He who did not spare his son, will he not himself give all things? And so the the lie of the enemy is God is not good. If God was good, you wouldn't have lost your job. If God was good, we could gather together. If God was good, we wouldn't be doing Easter online, which we don't know if we are or not. We're praying we can be in here. Pray that way. If God was good, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. Right? Our problem is well, how we define good sometimes. Good is a bunch of zeros behind a, a bank account. Or good is a certain waist size. Or good is a certain amount of likes or popularity or whatever. But good for this is, is, is God. He doesn't, he doesn't keep himself, right? He pursues us. He doesn't hold any good thing. And when we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And I think we just need to be reminded when everyone else is talking about how bad it is and how this and that and quarantine and this, that our God is the living God, that our God is the Lord of hosts, that he is sovereign, that our God is good, that our God is the father of lights with whom there is no shifting shadow. No variation. And every good and perfect gift is from him. I think we need to be remembering that. Even for some of you who have time off, you're like, I don't want time off. I hear you. But maybe time off is God's good and gracious gift to some of us. Because you are running ragged. And maybe you haven't spent any time with the kids for a while or you haven't seen that friend for a while. Right? And so it is a good, your time off is good. Right? That you now have the opportunity to actually go outside and experience this unbelievable city we live in that is beautiful and we've had unbelievable weather, right, for the last couple weeks. That you could just get outside and experience his creation, experience what he's done, even worship through that, right? So maybe we, we gotta stop seeing everything as God's fault, God's bad. No, God is good and he gives good things. And I think this guy gets it and that's why he wants to be close. That's why he says it's better to be there in your courts near your goodness than anywhere else. And I think that's, that's the way we need to start thinking about following Jesus. That I have come, that I may give life and give it abundantly, right? That his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we need to keep coming back and remember, y'all, our God is good, even in the midst of this. And, and this is what this makes Christians distinct. Instead of getting, you know, on Facebook and slamming everybody else, that there is a calm and a peace 
and even a joy in the midst of coronavirus. Why? Because we have closeness with God, we know where we're going, and because our God is good. Right? That, that, that's what can make us to think, and that's what can make us shine, even though we can't be in this building, even though we can't be here, that you can be your salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And so he closes with the third blessing statement. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. In you. And I kind of circled in my Bible this idea of just that, that phrase, in you. Because I think sometimes when we think of faith and trust, I trust the facts. I trust all the, the details of what is said. But I, I think there's a personal nature in here. He's not saying, do you trust the facts? Do you trust the rules? Do you trust in the living God? In the Lord of hosts? In this personal God and King? Do you believe in right? Not about him, but in him. And if not, in the words of the famous theologian Yoda, that is why you fail. Again, if you don't believe in the goodness of God, and if you don't believe that he really wants what is best for you, even if what's best for you right now is furlough or something else, if you don't believe those things, that intimacy with God is, is good, if you don't believe this is better than where I'm going is, where I, is better than where I'm at, then that is why we fail. That is why some of us have no joy and we're restless, right? And we're not content, right? So I think these custodians, these experts in sanitizing have some words for us, some challenges for us, right? As they're washing the door handles in the temple, they're reminding us, you wanna be blessed? Pursue closest with God. You want to be blessed, even in Baca? Remember where you're going. You want to be blessed? Keep remembering and believing that your God is good, that he loves you, that he has demonstrated in his love for us, and that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. So we're going to have a chance to salah on that, to think about that, as we just sing one song, a song written from this, from this psalm, actually. Um, It'll be familiar to some of you guys, and I'd encourage you to maybe sing along. Think about the words um, as you go about your day, uh, as you get off the couch now and go outside, I hope, and enjoy what God is doing in, in his creation, staying six feet from everybody, of course. Let me pray, and, uh, and we'll just sing one song. Father, I thank you for these custodians who remind us of your goodness, of your sovereignty. We need to just, the simple reminders today that you are the living God that you are the king of the universe, that you are good, and that to be with you is better than anywhere else. And so as we think about that and we go, and there's struggles, and I just pray that these, these words are not just, just words to someone who really is struggling and really is lost their job or really is sick, that they would feel your presence. You are with your church. You love your church. You will not abandon your church. And I thank you for those promises. We pray these things in Christ's name.